Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Hey, and welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We have a really exciting episode for you today. Um, we're really honored to have a guest with us on the show, which is one of your friends, right, Seth? Yeah, his name is Cameron Cole. Say hello, Cameron. Hello, Cameron. <laughs> you set him up for that. I did. I did. He did. It was too easy. <laughs> he. One of the most important things you need to know about Cameron is that he's my friend. That's and, the most important. And he loves uh, Alabama football. Alabama football. Alabama football. Bama. I think is the way that every every Oklahoma, every Oklahoma fan just turned off the uh, yeah. podcast. Please stay, please, please stay. stay, listeners from Oklahoma. Um, we love you. I text with Cameron often enough, and he signs off. People who have a sign off on text messages are a certain kind of people. But <laughs> let's leave that be <laughs> for now. But Cameron always signs off with RTR every single time. Oh no no no! You for, you, you forgot. Oh, I RTR for- seventeen. R- that's true. What's that? RTR. I don't know what any of this means. <laughs> Can someone please interpret? Roll. Roll Tide Roll 17 National Championships. 17? Is that a lot? Yeah. I don't really know. How that's long has most. football been around? 400 years? That's the, that's, that's the most. Just, that's oh, the that's most. the most. In, in case you were wondering. Okay. So Cameron is the uh, Director of Youth Ministries at Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. And you've been there for a long time, like 19 years. since. Right? Four, 14 years. 14, 14 years. 14. Still a significant amount of time. And you're also doing youth and family and children stuff there as well. Um, and you have your own children, which I've met many of. How many How many children? <laughs> there have been four. Oh, there man, there four. you go. And um, you uh, are the – oh, I'm trying to read your bio right now. <laughs> I'm struggling to get through the text message because I keep <laughs> losing my place. <laughs> You're the founding chairman of Rooted Ministry, an organization that promotes gospel-centered student ministry, youth ministry, and the co-editor of a book called Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry, which is great. And I give out to a lot of youth pastors. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the author of Therefore I Have Hope, 12 Truths that comfort, sustain, and redeem in tragedy, which we'll be talking about today. Yeah. And I also won one of uh, the World Magazine's 2018 Book of the Year for Accessible Theology. Which oh, wow. Was, I was really, Congratulations I was really, on that. That's cool. Yeah, I, was really cool. I was really happy to see that you won that, and it was, it was pretty exciting. And then you're working uh, on your MDiv from Reformed Theological Seminary, too. Aren't we all just slowly <laughs> working on our MDiv? <laughs> when Ten you... years, baby. Yes. Ten years. <laughs> There's... What is it? There's there's comfort and or misery loves company. Misery is that it? Company. Yeah, there it is. That's it. Yep. That's it. So, 
we're excited to have you on Cameron because we're we'll being Psalm 22 today talking about um, suffering and particularly Psalms of lament. Yeah. But before we kind of get there, I just want to hear a little bit of your story and also kind of the events that led up to you writing your most recent book, Therefore I Have Hope. Um, so yeah. just tell us about yourself and your story and your book. Uh, like any parent, you know, I um, have my wildest dream and my worst nightmare and um you know, most people never encounter either of those. Uh, but for me, I encountered both in 24 hours. Uh, you know, my wildest dream as a Christian parent is pretty simple. You know, it'd be that my children would know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Um, you know, you'd trade in anything for your children to know Jesus and have, you know, the eternal hope of salvation. Uh, worst nightmare is kind of twofold. Uh, you know, as I said, uh, uh, or Seth said, actually, I've been a youth minister for 14 years. And I kind of had this fear as a youth pastor that, you know, what if something happened where I lost my faith? Uh, I've had a, a really kind of cush life, um, nice parents, Christian home, parents financially comfortable. Uh, I got to do a lot of fun things and go on cool trips and things like that as a kid. Uh, friends came easy, school came easy, sports came easy, so on and so forth. Mm. And so... You know, it's kind of one of those things where I always thought, well, of course I believe God's good. Right. Um, you know, if you'd had as nice a life as I had, you, you'd be crazy to doubt the existence of God um, or the promises of, of the gospel. And so I had this fear that something really bad would happen and that I would lose my faith and that I would be a sellout and a, a fraud and a disappointment to all these kids to whom I had uh, proclaimed the goodness of God and the truth of the gospel. And so... So anyhow, um, I identified the, the thing that could cause me to lose my faith is the, the death of my son, Cameron, who was born in uh, 2010. And I thought, you know, I, I had this real fear of what, what would happen if he died. And I would kind of see myself turning my back on God and um, quitting ministry and just So that's you know, something that you thought about before it, before it happened? Something I thought about quite a bit, yeah. Wow. Kind of wake up in the middle of the night. And so, anyhow, I, um, uh, so uh, November the 10th, 2013, uh, we're sitting around playing Legos with my son, Cam, and he, um, starts to ask a bunch of questions. Uh, well, yeah, he lost his Lego axe and he asked us if we could ask Jesus to help find it. <laughs> so we, we found it, we, we prayed and we found it and he said, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And then he looked at us and he says, Hey, can we go see Jesus today? And I was like, well, buddy, you know, you, you can't see Jesus, but Jesus is here right now, you know, yeah. with us through the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, can we get in the car and go see him? And, and I was like, <laughs> well, you know, I was like, I, you know, we, you'll see him when you go to heaven. But for now, we just have to, you know, trust in his presence, even though we can't see him. And um, how old he was then he at said, the time? Three. He's three. just turned three, yeah. uh, uh, about a, two months before. Okay. And so, um, then he started to ask all these questions about heaven. He said, you know, I'm not going to see Adam and Eve in heaven. Well, yes. You know, it seems like God forgives their sins. And he pledged that he would not eat from that tree. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not eat that tree. I'm not eat that tree. <laughs> I'm like, well, fella, you know, everybody eats from the tree. And that's, uh, that's why Jesus came. We're all sinners. And he said, um, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for my sins. And it, it kind of took a little while. But Lauren and I kind of realized, like, wow, I think it was I think you were just observed our child professing faith in Christ. Wow. Um, so cool. And what's, um, uh, what's crazy is um, 
that was the last meaningful conversation I ever had with him. That night I went on a, um, that night I went on a trip to, on a camp out with, um, some guys in the youth group and some leaders and got a call the next morning from my wife. I missed three calls in like a minute. And, um, fourth call came through and she's, you know, with some terror and said, you got to get to children's hospital. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, you just got to go to the hospital. And I was like, I, I can't, you know, I can't drive like 45 minutes yeah. and having no idea what's going on with this you know, terror in your voice. She just said, Cameron is dead. Um, and, uh, and she said that she had just found him, uh, just found him dead in his bed that morning. And, you know, this was kind of the moment, um, uh, moment of truth. I, I, I had kind of seen this, this moment, in my worst nightmares and, uh, had, you know, envisioned myself, you know, turning my back on God. And it was very surprising what came out of my mouth. Um, first thing that I said, and, you know, all glory be to Christ for this. Yeah. But the first thing I said was Jesus rose from the dead. Mm. Um, Jesus rose from the dead. That means that God's good. And this doesn't change that fact. And so I found myself very surprised that that was your uh, first response. Like in, in the moment. Yeah, yeah, I was very surprised because I thought it'd go the other way. But in turn, what I realized, you know, in time and uh, in the next month, as I was unpacking everything, is that in fact, like God had been preparing me my whole life for this. Um, experientially, but theologically in particular through his word. And, you know, in the month after Cameron died, I um, found myself saying over and over again, gosh, I have no idea how a person could survive something like this if they didn't believe in this or they didn't know about this. And really, I kept on listing off doctrines. You know, if they didn't believe in the sovereignty of God or right. if they didn't know about God's daily grace or if they didn't know that God is an empathetic God or yeah. didn't have the hope of heaven, so on and so forth. And I just kept on saying that over and over again. And so after about a month, I sat down and I, um, I wrote down, like, what are those doctrines that I keep on finding to be so uh, essential and indispensable for, uh, for me having hope uh, in the midst of this? Because even though I was in an unbelievable amount of pain and sorrow uh, and just, you know, kind of misery, you just you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Um, I still had a great sense of hope and I really trusted Christ. And, um, and so I wrote down those doctrines that I found, felt like were essential to holding me together and ended up writing like a little personal confession statement. Mm -hmm. Uh, so basically like my son's, my son's accident is not, my, my son's death is not an accident. God is sovereign. Um, you know, everything passes through his good and perfect discretion um, this is not the end. Like I will, I will not be in this fallen earth forever, but you know, there's a perfect place reserved for me in heaven and I'll see my son again there. And anyhow, so I would just read that personal confession to myself most days, uh, in that first year, because it would continue to reorient me, re, um, reorient me to the, uh, to this narrative of hope. That's what I call it. My narrative of hope. Mm. Um, and, you know, these truths of Scripture that uh, would continue to help me trust the Lord and find hope in just utterly miserable circumstances. Yeah. Man, it reminds me, I know that, so it's a it's a dark company to keep, but like we, I, and it's still not the same, still birth versus losing a son um, at three. But there was a song called If by Beautiful Eulogy. Have you listened to it, Cameron? 
it's it's just once it's i think propaganda sings it or Mm. somebody some spoken word poet and he says if you take the breath from my lungs and make an end of my life if you take the most precious part of me and take my kids and my wife it would crush me it would break me it would suffocate and cause heartache i would taste the bitter dark providence but you would still preserve my faith Mm. i just remember listening to that line and realizing dear god this is why people people leave Jesus over the loss of loved ones all the time. So the fact that I'm still sitting here worshiping, like, why me? I I remember listening to that song, hearing that line, I was like, why do I still believe? Mm. Why Um, is God preserving me? Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, so with the the book, the book is really just me working out that narrative of hope. You know, those 12 truths that I found essential and kind of paralleling it with my own story. And, you know, Seth, I think, you know, Seth and I really uh, have come to know each other through this ministry rooted that promotes gospel-centered youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think for both of us, you know, part of what we promote is not doing shallow, theologically substanceless youth ministry, but really teaching the kids the word, having them, that, that um, raising them to have a really well-grounded, deep foundation in God's truth. And a lot of what motivates that is both of us know how hard life is and how painful things can be when you encounter a tragedy like losing a child. And, uh, and that's when kids, that's when you really have to draw on the truth of God. It doesn't feel like God is good. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like the the realities of the gospel are true, but you know um, that they're true and you have um, the intellectual tools to fall back on. Yeah, because because you you know you're grounded in God's word, um, and so I think that's part of our passion as youth pastors is uh, preparing kids to suffer, knowing the day is coming, some form or fashion, whether it's you know a death or it's um, a broken engagement or a diagnosis of some sort, and preparing them for that moment, building building a foundation on the rock rather than on sand. Yeah, I know too, like even just in this cultural moment, like not for just students, but for people in general, suffering is not something in the modern vocabulary. Like suffering isn't redemptive in the modern vocabulary. Suffering is at best an interruption in a sustained narrative of happiness Mm -hmm. or the end of our lives. Like there's no way in which to come back from suffering if the end goal is happiness. Mm. So like, right, like if the end, if our end goal is to feel happy right. as often as possible, suffering is always an interruption and can never be redemptive. So one of the things that's unique mm. about the Christian faith in this cultural moment is that it offers a new narrative of hope, restoration, character development, strengthening that our, right. that, that, that our cultural moment doesn't offer. Yeah. And I, I yeah. it, it just makes me think of like how, um, a lot of people, like like we like what we're talking about, is a lot of people leave the faith because of suffering. Um, uh, it's it's one of the questions I get all the time, especially from parents coming to me when I'm speaking at an event or something. They'll be like, "Hey, like my daughter is you know leaving the faith because she just can't get over why there's so much suffering in the world or why this or that happened," um, and and people just leave the faith. It's a constant narrative, and yet I feel like. With the the very existence of the lament psalms in in our Bibles shows us that suffering and faith are not at a conflict and they are not mutually exclusive categories. That God's faithfulness and goodness 
and extreme suffering and turmoil don't have to cancel each other out. I think one thing that's very compelling about Christianity, and in particular the Bible, is just how honest the Bible is about how dark and hard life is. Yeah. You try reading the Bible to a four-year-old child. You know, try to find some age-appropriate text in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, I, I tried to. Um, I read through. Um, I read through. You know, First and Second Samuel with my daughter. Mm. She she didn't want to do a children's Bible. She's like, I want to do the real Bible. <laughs> and um, so we got out the Greek. You no, know, got out the Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyhow, but she. Um, you know, I'm like, goodness gracious, like, what do I do with this? You know, you got people getting their heads chopped off. You yeah. got, uh, you got affairs, you have, you know, murder, you have the, the, you know, the death of a child, just all these kind of things just in those two books. And, uh, yeah. And so, I mean, I just feel like the Bible is, um, doesn't pull any punches. I mean, read the book of judges. Oh Holy man. Cow. Yeah. yeah, I've had people yeah. talk to me about the book. Like, how do I talk about this with my kids? How do I talk about this for myself? Like, right. why is this in my Bible? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Shopping up a prostitute into, you know, into a dozen pieces. Yeah. yeah. And so, that's a, yeah. That's, that's, not, that's not easy. No, it's not. So the Bible's response then yes. to suffering is lament. Yeah, it's not ignore, right? Right. It's not sweep it under the rug. It's not justify it and try to see how it's all rose-colored. It's confront it head-on and talk about it honestly. Yeah, and so right? I think that's why we're in Psalm 22. Yeah. Psalm 22 is like David's honest reflection on what it means to suffer. Right. So I don't know about, about you, Cameron, but have you been, Have you? did you pray through Psalm 22 during the last couple of years as you've been processing your own grief? Is that something that, that was a comfort to you, helpful to you in any way? You know, I actually wrote about it in the, a little bit in the faith chapter um, of my book, mm. and I was I was given a sermon uh i was given a sermon by by uh tim keller about psalm 22 um in the week after cam died i listened to it probably a dozen times so yeah you know i I, um one of the things that keller talks about with this psalm is the actual presence of god versus the perceived presence of god right and how you know the psalmist does not perceive the presence of God, uh, but, but knows that there's actually, God is actually present, even if it doesn't feel like God is present. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, the first first line is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the third verse is yet you are are holy. holy. It's like, there's that tension between like, you're gone. I don't experience you. You're not here. Right. I can't help but see like, um, Cam, like your, um, what would you call it? your your statement of hope or what was was that uh, narrative, of narrative of hope? I can't I can't help but see that like God was doing in you what He was doing in David um, when you're writing your narrative of hope. He's like I can look around and I can see the truth and the reality of all the suffering in my life, but then woven throughout Psalm 22 are, is this narrative of hope, right? He's like you're holy, you're enthroned in praises. Like later we're gonna see that like um, that you don't despise or abhor the afflicted. Uh, you, the, those who are afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Like there's these little threads of doctrinal truths woven throughout this lament Psalm so much so that like critical scholars think they must be two separate Psalms. 
like that oh, have been stitched together that. by a later redactor. Hmm. But like <laughs> it's because the world can't sit in this tension that the Christian that that, that 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 the Christian can. And so I, I just, I love right. this idea of, and maybe you can talk to us a little bit more about it, Cameron, this idea of what we perceive to be true about our experience and our suffering and what we know to be true about who God is. Like, like I mean, that, yeah. that has to be something that you've wrestled with a lot. Well, no doubt, you know, because um, I think that a lot of, you know, we've talked about people leaving the faith. Uh, because of suffering and, yeah. and so on and so forth. And, you know, I think for a lot of us that our uh, acknowledgement or confidence that God is good is purely based on emotional experiences. Right. Uh, when we've maybe been in worship services or uh, large group settings where, you know, we could get this sense of joy, but then something happens and all that joy is gone. Mm. Uh, and it's nothing but pain. And, you know, the, the, the foundation was purely experiential and there was no, there, there, there was no intellectual confidence in the goodness of God that came through God's word. Mm. And so, um, so yeah, you know, there really is this battle. There's this battle inside in suffering and in lament. And you kind of see it here in the tension, the kind of the back and forth of, of you seem, you seem almost bipolar. Right. There's this one side of you, and this is really the, the side that's kind of the default and the more natural side to be like, where is God? I deserve better than this. Like, mm. what, you know, um, you know, I have been wronged and uh, this is not real. And just, you know, all these kind of feelings that come through and you're kind of, it's almost, it's almost as if you're, uh, you know, you're falling down a mountain um, and you're, you're just spiraling. Um, and then the thing that kind of catches you is to say, but wait, no, like I look at the cross and I see a God who died and suffered, uh, suffered with me, who suffered for me, who suffered on my account. Like I see a God who lost a child. Right. Um, yes. and it wasn't, you know, and his child went to hell. Yeah. My child went to heaven yeah. you know, immediately. Um, and, and so there's that battle and the battle is almost like a battle between the emotions and uh and your mind like right. what you feel and what you know yeah so, uh, and so you can see him waging you can see him in this psalm waging war in yeah. in the battle so we like I, yeah that that makes a ton of sense i i think i think one thing i'm curious about here is we i think it's we it's easy to understand why it's really good in the midst of lament to speak doctrinal truths about the goodness of God, like let that let that right. let that chasten, counteract, sustain you through this other narrative of suffering. I think the the thing that I'm curious about with the lament psalms is, okay, but why why do we have these inspired, preserved writings in the canon of Scripture that aren't the doctrines of God? In fact, they they seem to say things that just aren't true. Like mm -hmm. David wasn't forsaken of God, and yet these things are like in here right. and, and it's like, why, why, what's the purpose of, of brash, honest, hard, angry lament? Like, yeah, I think, I think mm. at least for me, I know it dignifies the emotions the Lord has given me yeah. in this world. Yeah. Like there is a sense in it, like there's like in grief, particularly you can always feel like you're having the wrong emotion at the wrong time. Wow. You can feel guilty for still 
grieving your son. Well, you should move on by now. Mm. Like, you know, you, you feel in the middle of your suffering as if you should be responding differently. And so to have David, and even the most people skip over this, but the first line of Psalm 22 is, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, which would have been the melody. The oh, doe right. of the dawn is melody. The song. And so like, what, is it, what does this mean? It means that these are words given to the people of Israel to dignify their suffering. Wow. To give words to their yeah. suffering that they may not be able to express. Like, I mean, that's why books are helpful. That's why poetry is helpful. Right. It says things that I feel but can't say. Right. That's an interesting genre like right. observation because mm-hmm. these aren't we, aren't we aren't eavesdropping on David's private, secret, shameful reflections about how abandoned he feels. We are actually being given something that he constructed and then was like like through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then was moved by that power of the Holy Spirit to say, "This is for the congregation of Israel to dignify your suffering and give you words for it." Like, yeah. man, Cameron, like, what are you thinking as we're talking about all this? Having grown up in the American South, I'm not sure if it's just a cultural thing um, or what, but but lament is something we have to teach people how to do. Yeah. Uh, there's a woman in our church named Krista Cordova, and she um, talked about and has taught about teaching her children how to lament in a tough time. Um, and you know, and it's, it's as, as human beings, it's hard for us. And maybe it's more West as Westerners too, but it's hard for us to live in that tension of, yes, we know that God is good. Yes. We, we proclaim the promises of God and we hold those to be true. And simultaneously we cry out with our, our doubts and our pain, our sorrow and, um, and our confusion, we cry out to God um, with those things. Like those two things coexist at the same time, and that's that's what it means to truly lament. Right. And I think what's interesting about that is I don't I don't think the psalmist ever tells us that th- those things contradict or even form a tension. They chasten one another. Like yeah. I think I think it's because like when we think about God's goodness, and I think that comes down to why the problem of evil even exists at a philosophical level is that. Well, if God is good and people suffer, then you have a problem philosophically and logically. It's like, no, we need to go and define what we mean by good. And, and, and so like, yeah. I, I, think like, I think lament helps shape our doctrinal categories of who God is, what it means mm. that he's good, how he acts in this world, how we should view suffering. Like, yeah. It not only stands as the other side of rosy and happy and everything's great, but hey, remember, this helps us suffer, but it actually goes back even further and helps us understand better and more robustly what it means to say that God is good, that he's good even in and yeah. like through and because of suffering. Even even more simply, it just teaches us how to pray yeah. about what's wrong with us or with the world or with our circumstances. Because I think one of the things that's fascinating about Psalm 22 is like, there are very few requests. Oh, that's very true. Like, like I think it was, I think it's Anne Lamont she says, she, I have three basic prayers. One is help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the third is... Uh, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, right? give me, give me, give me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, those are my three prayers. <laughs> those are my three basic prayers. Yeah. But what's fascinating is you don't get a request from David until verse 11, and it's only five words, be Be not not far from from me. Wow. So it's like, it's 11 verses of just, here's what I'm experiencing. I feel like you're far away, but I I know you're supposed to be good, but it doesn't feel that. And like these people are surrounding me and people are making fun of me. I feel like a worm. I feel depressed. I feel shamed. I feel guilt. I know you're supposed to be better than that, but where are you? Be not far from me. 
And that's the first request we get from God. Mm. So I think a lot of time for like people who are suffering, it is not our um, go-to to process in front of God. Right. It's to make to, like make it better, Lord. Yeah, fix make, it. And like that's not a wrong prayer. No, it's not. David prays it, and he prays it, it in other Psalms too. Like like Lord, like let my enemies fall into the snare they've set for me. But it right. short circuits suffering. Mm. Like suffering is meant to be processed with your heavenly Father. Wow. Yeah. You're not you're like wow, you're not supposed on, to su- yeah. you're not supposed to suffer alone. And so like that David is teaching us that God is actually indeed. Care, like he actually cares that we're suffering, and he's inviting a prolonged conversation. He's inviting like tensions and like like any like uh, if you listen to somebody suffering, what they most want is what you just to hear them. Yeah, they don't want you to offer verses and like I'll help you, I'll be there. Um, but like he offers, he wants to be there with you. Oh, I think the the. The terminology I used in the doubt chapter of my book when in talking about this was um, was stay in the conversation. Mm. You know, I think there's a temptation to get bitter and like turn away from God or to fake it, you know, to just pretend like you're not having these feelings when you really do. And the yeah, so turn away from God with your emotion or fake fake not having emotion with God. And so kind of bridging those, like you said, Seth, is we take those emotions to God. We lament with the Lord. And, I, you know, you see this very well done, not just in the Psalms, but also you see it with Habakkuk does this really, really well. Um, and he has just questions about, God, how could you let the Babylonians come? Yeah. How could you ordain this in the future? And he is lamenting. And at the end, he trusts the Lord. He remembers who God is and he trusts the Lord. And you see Job do it really well, too. Um, how Job cries out to the Lord and, you know, finally really comes to him with his questions and so on and so forth. And, and um, uh, yeah, so those are just really good models for how God wants to hear all of our pain. God wants to hear our heart. And there's something like very, some, I think, I think a lot of times people see it as spiritual failure to have these doubts and feelings and confusion and like, come on, like we believe in the gospel. Like the gospel tells us, what does the gospel tell us about us? It tells us that we're sinners. It tells us that we're inadequate. It tells us that we cannot help ourselves. Um, that we're very flawed, deeply flawed, so flawed that God would have to die on a cross for us. And so it's, I mean, do we think that God is really surprised that we have these feelings or that we just cannot come up with the answers um, and that we're confused? No, God's not surprised. Like he knows just, how limited we are as human beings so much so that he sends a son to die for us. So, um, so and, and God's yeah. grace is there for that. And so I just think that, um, the gospel, uh, what the gospel tells us about ourselves and about the grace of God should make us feel comfortable, yeah. uh, and being honest with the Lord. And obviously we do that with reverence, you know, um, we, we don't do that as petulant children, yeah. um, or disrespectfully. Um, but being honest with the Lord about our emotions is that it's, I, I had a, I have a student whose mother died last week from cancer. And one of the things I told him is it's a godly thing to be honest with God about your emotions mm. to, you know, you're yeah. trusting the Lord in that way. You're bringing, you're including him in that part of your life. And that's what the Lord wants. You're you know, you're bringing his lordship over your pain. Right. 
That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, I think what s- stood out to me there was that like it, when we start to deny the role of lament, really we start denying the role of seeing our own sin and repentance. Like if we don't lament over our sin, we never get to the grace of Jesus that oh, re- wow. resurrects us from the from our sin. Like right. we need like lament is woven into the gospel story, even if it was just for the fact that Jesus died first. Right. There was a gap right. between Jesus' death and his resurrection. Right. Like the gospel includes lament. It's buried in there. You can't escape lament within the story right. of the gospel. So like in the same way where, where you're talking about like how um, maybe we can't properly rejoice in the fact that Jesus is going to make all things new. He's going to bring justice. He's going to make peace. We can't properly enjoy that unless we enter into how broken our world is, how much we're suffering, how how messed yes. up everything is. Uh, the same is true of our sin. Like I, like I must lament over my sin in order to enjoy how great the relief from its burden and guilt and mm. shame are. Like that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of turn the ship here and as we, as we wrap up and let's look at, let's look at Psalm 22 and, um, and just kind of, we've made some broad observations about lament Psalms, about a few particular things that, that David says here about its genre being congregational. Let's talk quickly about, um, some key moments that we can zoom in and see, uh, Jesus kind of like verse for verse here, um, a little bit. Let's kind of meditate on it. Yeah, I think, I think we haven't said it explicitly yet, but Jesus prays this psalm on the, on cross. the cross. So yeah. as he's hanging on the cross, he said he says the first line, "God, forgive me." And I know, oh, yeah, my God, my God, no, why have you forsaken me? My God, me? my God, why have you forsaken me? And so I've even heard some scholars say that, like, like it's physically agonizing to say anything because in order to breathe you have to put pressure on the nail in your feet to lift up your diagram to give vent to breath or voice is extremely physically exhausting and painful and so for jesus to say anything is remarkable but for the fact that it'd be this psalm is even more so right so think about that the first line goes off my god my god why have you forsaken me so a lot of scholars will say that what jesus probably did when he couldn't say it he was repeating it in his mind. Yeah. And as he's do- and as you do that, you realize there's all sorts of descriptions of the suffering Jesus is experiencing written a thousand years before right. in the Psalm of David. Yeah. And not only is he is this his inner cogitation coming out when he's ga- gasping for breath, it's also when he's saying this one line on the cross, he's saying like it's like when you start a song, you know, with the first line, you can sing the rest of it. Right, right, He's right. like, I'm including everything else that this psalm says by kicking it off with this one line. Like, he is the ultimate sufferer who's lamenting, asking God to save him. And, and we see that really clearly in, in, in several of just of, like, the historical things that occur to him, right? Like, right, like, people like, are mocking and scorning right. him, verse 6. People are, uh, his, bone, his bones weren't out of joint, but, but he's his, poured out like water. Yeah, his, hand, his hands and feet are pierced. Yes. People are casting lots for his clothing, uh, verse 8. Uh, people are deriding him, saying, "Well, he trusts in the Lord. Let God deliver him." Isn't that what the people say? They're like, "Well, he said he's the Messiah. Let 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 God come and save him and pull him off the cross." Like he's receiving the exact same kind of mocking, um, and like so. Yeah, this is Jesus on the cross. Like Jesus identifies himself as this person. Cameron, what else would you kind of pull out of this text as you're as you're looking at it? Well, one thing I see is um, in verse two. It says, "Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest." And, uh, you know, just because we're lamenting, a lot of times when we do lament, it does kind of bring us to a place of hope and joy. But he, he, there's nothing, there's no, like, there's no quick fix here. You know, he's lamenting, and it's not as if his emotional experience is changing. 
Um, he's not feeling the happies, so to speak. Right. And, and then also, too, he says, you know, be not far from me, for there, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me, mm. or there's none to help. And I think that, I think, and Seth, I know you can probably identify with this, but, and when you really go through something really, really bad, you get very clear that there is how, just how uh, impotent you are and how impotent your idols are. Because there is nothing that can help you mm. except the Lord. There is nothing that can heal a, a pain, a sorrow like that. And he is clear on that. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Wow. And just think about um, that with, with Jesus on the cross. He's saying, like, like, even David, at some point, God does come and save him from these situations he's in. Jesus, on the other hand, is literally forsaken. Like, his friends can't help him, he's not helping himself, and God literally is not going to pull him off of the cross. The cup will not pass from him. Like, he will fall under this lament. I just couldn't couldn't help yeah. but see that as you were talking there, Cameron. Keep going. Yeah. And that's that's what Keller says. His point in uh, the sermon on Psalm 22 is um, we, uh, God's people, are never actually abandoned. Yeah. Um, because Jesus was actually abandoned on the cross. Wow. Uh, God, Jesus was alone. Yeah. God had forsaken Jesus on the cross, and he did that to Jesus uh, so that he would never have to do that to us. Mm. So that gives us the confidence that God never has literally never turned his back on us. Yeah. yeah. The that... psalm is good news. It's good news that Jesus quoted the psalm on the cross because— it tells us that what Jesus experienced, we will never, and even while we experience whatever our suffering is, Jesus knows what it's like. Like that's why it's Jesus on the cross quoting the psalm is good news. Right. And I mean, and isn't it amazing then that he can that like he can say, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Like that mm-hmm. that whole idea of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like because he's with us always, even to the end of the age, by merit of his resurrection from the dead, like we have a sure hope that when we say, be not far from me in the midst of whatever circumstances, we know that that is actually true, that we won't be abandoned because Jesus was. Man, yeah, thanks for pointing that out, Cameron. That's really strong. I, I keep going over this verse over and over in my mind, so I'm just going to say it. It's verse 9 and 10. Uh, it says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you have made me trust at my mother's breast. On you was I cast out from my birth, and from my mother's womb you've been my God. So this is a unique passage in Scripture in one sense because it's describing God as a midwife. Yeah. So it's like one of the few feminine images ascribed to God. But for me personally, it's like, actually, I feel like this is where God failed. Like, he didn't bring my son from the womb. You know, he was oh, stillborn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like mm-hmm. he didn't learn to trust at his mother's breasts. And so, like, I, there's, there's been this sense, like, man, you, God, it feels like you failed. Mm. And I remember, I don't know how long ago it was, but somebody came up to Erica one night, one Sunday morning, and just started praying over her in the middle of worship. And um, somebody said, like, I know it probably feels like your womb is like a place of death and can only bring forth death. But the Lord wants you to know that it's actually you birthed Reuben for heaven. Mm. And so I was even thinking, like, even as, like, the Lord failed to deliver my son to trust at my mother's breast, uh, his mother's breast. He actually delivered him into heaven. Yeah. He was a better midwife than Ooh. I expected him to be, you know? Mm. Um, oh, wow. Wow. Dang. Thanks for sharing that. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Man. Um, man. Thanks, Seth. 
That's that's amazing. That's powerful. Uh, yeah, it really is. I'm still reeling from it. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I feel like crying over here. It's fine, um, guys. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> We're lamenting. It's great. Um, yeah, Cameron, uh, we've, we've got just a few minutes left here. Um, what is there anything else from Psalm 22 that you particularly feel like uh, we need to bring out if we're going to talk about this passage rightly? Well, I think God is just how uh, pain and suffering is such a sanctifying thing. Uh, you know, I think um, you know, talk about uh, with Luther, the theology of glory versus theology of the cross, and, uh, you know, a Christian in a way that's, very, very uh, countercultural can look at pain and suffering and see how redemptive and constructive and edifying it is for us as believers. You can see in verses 19 through 21 how he cries out, um, You, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And so, Spiritually, and he's, he's in this very good good place. Mm. He knows his need. He knows his uh, impotence and inadequacy, and he knows that God is his only help. Wow! And that's really the that's really the uh, the rhythm that we need to live in every single day. You know, here the three of us probably I would think woke up with pretty comfortable circumstances today. You know, you get up, we're going to take care of kids, go to work. Um, you know, eat our meal, so on and so forth. Yeah, there you go. I, I eat uh, shredded wheat with uh, a chopped up banana. Um, mm-hmm. But anyhow, no, you know, and yet, uh, even though we probably have pretty nice, comfortable circumstances today, what we need and what everyone listening needs is we need to be in a place where we say, you know what, this day, I have nothing apart from the grace of God and apart from the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Um, I today in this comfortable, normal, suburban, routine day, um, I am nothing without your grace, Lord. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think when, when we suffer, we really have to do that. We know that in a way where our circumstances cry out, your only hope is in Christ. Um, but we need that same mentality for the routine days. That's, that's of, really helpful. You know, here I, here I bow down before you, Lord Christ. Give me your grace for this day. Give me the Holy Spirit for this day um, to faithfully navigate everything I do, everything I encounter. Yeah, I don't think I've ever viewed the, um, the those those requests, like deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. I thought those were coming from a really broken, angry place. I've always re- read them that way, like kind of like a different way of saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, hey, God, wake up, do something. But to looking at it from this place of utter hopelessness and utter understanding that you're inadequate, that you can't save yourself, and that you're throwing yourself on the mercy of God, asking for him to help you in your suffering, being a really, you called it a really good place spiritually. I was like, man, that really caught me off guard. (laughs) I was like, but, uh, but it's really true. Like, isn't that the best place we can get is, God, you're my only hope. Like, come and save me. Come and rescue me. I need you. I need you to do this. Like, oh, isn't that the best place that we can get to receive grace? Um, I think it's really helpful. I think the last question I want to ask, I don't know if if anyone will have an answer to this. I just thought it. I was like, okay, from a meta standpoint with this, with this, this chapter, this psalm, why is Jesus praying it on the cross? Like, is it just because of all the connections that we're supposed to see between like 
what Dave was going through and how he's the true sufferer who, who I mean, we've kind of talked about all that, who he bears all of immense. He, you know, he is actually forsaken. So we don't have to like, there's little things we can pull out of here that have a lot of good humongous truth. But is there like, like why this Psalm? Why not a different Psalm? Like why, why pray a Psalm at all as he's on the he cross? He is always interceding for us. Oh, come on. That's just, yeah. So like even yeah. even as he's taking on yeah. all of our sin and all of our suffering and experiencing physically, like he's not just interceding for us when he's in power at God's right hand, clothed mm. well. He's always mm-hmm. interceding for us, even as he is suffering. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Even as we are suffering. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Cameron, what what else? Last thoughts on that from you? I think maybe. I, I, I think because the theme of forsaken is so uh, pregnant in this this psalm, maybe that's the reason why. And he, Jesus, is literally forsaken by God on the cross, yeah. and so maybe maybe that's why this is the one. Yeah, um, that he's praying. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Well, man, this has been a really helpful, a really helpful episode for me. Um, I think it, it's really, it's not what I expected. I, I don't think I expected lament to be brought about as this spiritually healthy place to be in. You know, I thought it was like this uh, permission slip. I think that's how I've always viewed the psalm, the, the right, Psalms right. of Lament, where it's like, hey, it's okay to go to God and, and talk to him, like, and, and air your grief. And, like, we've said that, yeah. but we've also said something very different that I wasn't expecting, which was, like, this isn't just a permission slip going and taking your burdens to God and being in a desperate place of needing him is a spiritually healthy place. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's ultimately caught me, caught me off guard with this whole thing and what will ultimately help me pray these better. Yeah. Um, so, man, Cameron, mm. thank you so much for being with us. This has been yeah, really you. helpful. Um, what's Will you, will you kind of give everybody the name of Cameron's book again? Yeah, Therefore I Have Hope, 12 Reasons. I forget the rest of the subtitle, but it's on. <laughs> 12, 12, 12 Truths, 12 Truths 12. That Comfort, Sustain, and Redeem in Tragedy. There you go. Uh, look it up on Amazon, Cameron Cole, Therefore I Have Hope. And then the Rooted, Rooted blog is, what's the URL for Rooted? Rootedministry.com. Yep. Uh, you can see a bunch of gospel-centered content. Cameron, you contribute, I know, fairly regularly regularly but there's also like a whole bunch of writers yeah you write on there i do write on there yeah yeah so yeah yeah, that's great well this has been really helpful cameron we really do thank you so much for your time and for your story we thank god for your faith and uh, how he's using you as a light so just uh, thank you for everything man thank you guys this was so edifying and encouraging absolutely all right guys well uh, thank you all for joining us this week and uh we will see you next time Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.